Hello, my name is Tudor Oman. I'm one of the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Consultants in the Royal Belfast Hospital for Sick Children. Today I'm going to talk to you about the management of pediatric status epilepticus. I want to have a look at the treatment considerations, potential causes, and the investigations we would perform in the emergency department. Um, so let's dive in. Seizures are the most common neurological emergency that we see. It's our bread and butter. Around 8% of children will have an up unprovoked seizure by the age of 15. Most of these will resolve spontaneously, requiring no treatment other than consideration of the potential cause and future management. Of these, the literature quotes that 1.3 to 16% progress to status epilepticus. This is affecting 10 to 73 per 100,000 pediatric population. Under twos are more affected. Status carries with it a significant mortality uh, of 2.7 to 8% and morbidity of 10 to 20 percent uh, resulting in significant neurological deficit. So that's the size of the problem. So when we think of status we need to have a clear definition of what we mean by that. So what do we mean by status epilepticus? The standard definition that I learned when I was going through medical school was a, a single clinical seizure lasting at least 30 minutes uh, or repeated seizures over a period of more than 30 minutes uh, without recovery of consciousness. What we know now is that the longer a seizure continues, the more refractory they become to treatment and the higher the risk of neurological damage and cell death. Many organizations would now recognize convulsive status epilepticus after five minutes of continuous seizures or at least recognize the urgency of treatment after five minutes if they haven't decided on a change in definition. Um, and early treatment with rapid escalation to second line and potential RSI is the cornerstone of treatment of status epilepticus. Most of the best evidence for the treatment of status is for the use of benzodiazepines as first-line anti-seizure medication. Whether you use APLS, EPLS, or an American guideline, um, the advice is similar. After five minutes of continuous seizure activity, a dose of benzodiazepine should be administered with a second dose five to 10 minutes later. IV lorazepam and IM midazolam are the most effective uh, benzodiazepines to use. The practice I see currently in the UK is that the ambulance crew um, will administer rectal diazepam and we like to use the second dose of diaz uh, benzodiazepine being IV lorazepam as it's the best effective. Um, I note that in the Australian, current, currently in the Australian guidelines, they use IM midazolam uh, for the paramedics and the uh, IV midazolam uh, for uh, in-hospital second-dose uh, treatment. So when the resuscitation phone rings and the paramedics inform you that they're bringing in uh, a one-year-old who has been seizing for the last eight minutes, they have an ETA of 15 minutes. That's 23 minutes expected time of seizure prior to arrival in the emergency department. You know that the best chance for getting on top of the seizure is early administration of benzodiazepines. The best outcome is for benzodiazepines to be given within 10 minutes um, of the seizure starting. This is fine for inpatient use where they're monitored uh, and rapid administration of drugs can be given. Um, but unless the child is already known to have seizures and is on a rescue plan, uh, this is not normally possible in the community. We also know that after 30 minutes of seizure, uh, benzodiazepines become 
less, uh, less effective. In fact, some literature quotes that they become 20 times less effective uh, than within the first 10 minutes. And this is due to GABA receptor trafficking. So this is a concerning finding. A meta-analysis um, showed that 17 to 64% of patients received the first dose uh, between 30 and 70 minutes, well beyond the time where benzodiazepines are effective. This delay can be explained in part by uh, recognizing the seizure uh, at home, um, contacting paramedics, the time to travel there, administer the drugs, and also the transport back to the hospital. The ambulance crew for this patient inform you that they're going to administer the first dose of benzodiazepine as they understand that the early administration is important. You recognize that the time that they are going to, to have seizing prior to arrival in the hospital is also a significant delay in treatment. And therefore, you advise them that after 10 minutes of seizing, uh, following the first dose of benzodiazepine, to give a second dose of benzodiazepine. This leads you to have a, uh, a preparation time with your team uh, for the imminent arrival of this one-year-old. You have to choose which medications you're going to prepare and what you're going to lead with on their arrival. We recognize that benzodiazepines can cause respiratory depression. A Cochrane review showed that 7.2% of patients who received buccalmedazolam had respiratory depression. And on review of the other um, benzodiazepines, a similar number was also found. So a second dose should always be given by someone able to and equipped to identify respiratory depression and deal with it if necessary. Doses given too close together, benzodiazepine stacking, or a higher dose uh, can lead to an increased respiratory depression and an increased need for anesthetic support. So if you want to stay on the good side of your anesthetic colleagues, don't stack your benzodiazepines. Studies looking at deviation from guidelines by using higher doses or a third dose of benzo have shown very little benefit uh, on seizure cessation, but a twofold increased risk of RSI and a 1.5 times increased uh, risk of PICU admission. So we decide not to give a third dose of benzo when this child arrives. So where does that leave us? Moving on to second line therapy? Well, I'd like to put a little caveat in here at the minute. The APLS guidelines in the UK still has a, a mention of peraldehyde uh, as a use of an anti-seizure medication. In many countries, this has been withdrawn from use um, from its previous poor safety record for use as an intravenous anti-epileptic, uh, leading to some pretty horrific side effects. But PR diazepam has little side effects other than skin irritation. The problem is, is there's no evidence for its use. It's all anecdotal. However, in our department, we use it frequently. And in fact, we have some chronic patients uh, who have seizures, seizure plans that state that their first line should be peraldehyde as they respond so well to it. So I think it's something that needs to be considered. And I think that the inclusion in our guidelines for its use uh, is, is a, uh, gives you another option while you're preparing your infusions as second line. One thing, uh, there's a number of things that I would like to um, mention in relations to its use. Um, it needs to be mixed with 50-50 uh, with, with olive oil. It cannot be given neat. The solution that we have and the one that's on the screen here uh, is a pre-mixed solution uh, and can be given um, 
in a, in a dose of 0.8 mils per kilogram. You need to draw it up only at the time you're going to administer it because it will dissolve uh, your syringe. You need to hold it in, so squeeze those butt cheeks, okay? Uh, keep the, the medication in to allow it to be effective, otherwise it just comes out. And you also need to be aware that peraldehyde will cause your acidosis on your gas to become worse. Um, and I would always suggest that if you're giving peraldehyde, you should be hanging your second line therapy anyway, and that would be along with APLS guidelines. So, as the aroma of peraldehyde fills the air, you can consider your second line therapy um, for, for preparation for when this child arrives. Phenotone and phenobarbitone are currently on our guidelines and they have been for years. Phenobarbitone is still the mainstay treatment for status epilepticus in the neonatal seizures and is very effective. It can cause respiratory depression and can cause hypertension. Phenotone has a lot of side effects um, including liver damage, Stephen Johnson syndrome, arrhythmias, and even death. It also requires more time to prepare um, and administer, taking 20 minutes to give. So it's not a desirable drug. It's messy to, to make up. It requires a filter to use. Um, and there are other drugs that are out there. Our neurological consultants have been using levetiracetam uh, to treat seizures in their inpatients uh, for a long time, um, yet this hasn't filtered down into our guidelines yet. Um, so there have been a number of studies coming out over the last few years. The Peruki-based uh, study, uh, the levetiracetam versus phenotone for second-line treatment of pediatric convulsive status epilepticus, or the Eclipse study to be simpler, um, showed that levetiracetam was not superior to phenotone, and it was set up as a superiority uh, study and was empowered for a non-inferiority study. Um, similar rates of side effects were noted, uh, similar rate for seizure cessation, um, and also time uh, to uh, numbers of people who stop seizing and the, the time to stopping seizing uh, were noted in this study. The New Zealand study, uh, concept study, uh, also came out around the same time comparing levetiracetam and phenotone this also demonstrated that levetiracetam was not superior to phenotone, and both studies gave the other drug if there was no cessation of seizing. So if you fail to stop seizing using phenotone, they gave levetiracetam. If you used levetiracetam and you failed to stop seizing, they gave phenotone. Um, another study, uh, the, the ESET study, Established Status Epilepticus Treatment Trial, came out shortly after comparing uh, valproic acid levetiracetam and phosphenatoin, um, again finding no difference in their use as a second-line therapy. So we have a bunch of drugs here that have not been shown to be any better than phenotoin, which is our standard treatment, um, but no worse, with similar rates of stopping seizures, similar rates of side effects, uh, and similar speeds uh, of seizure cessation. So where does this leave us? It leaves us with a drug that is commonly used for status epilepticus by our neurology consultants that is just as effective, easier to give, and has less side effects. APLS have not yet changed their treatment algorithm to include it. Um, some other organizations, such as the Australian um, ALSG group, have decided to include it in the algorithm, um, 
either as the first second line treatment or a second drug uh, to be administered uh, if the first one doesn't if, if the first one doesn't work. What I thought was interesting is this concept of using two second line medications uh, to try and reduce the risk of need or the need for RSI in a child who fails to respond to the first second line treatment. The authors of the concept study commented on the don't forget the bubbles um, an analysis of their paper that a second second line medication reduced the number of children acquiring an RSI and PICU admission by up to 50% and thus reducing the risk associated with such an undertaking. However, the Eclipse group, uh, also commenting on the same article, um, warned that children who have a real risk of significant morbidity and mortality um, uh, um, may not benefit from a further delay on getting RSI and more definitive treatment. And they put out a word of caution saying that further discussion and a further look at the data is necessary before um, our guidelines change uh, to include those uh, as, as set in stone. So the way I see it is the current guidelines remain unchanged, but this gives us options to consider when we see a patient in status epilepticus. Um, if we feel a second line, we have time for a second second line uh, treatment, then it gives us an option to use before needing to consider RSI and PICU admission. This may be more useful in areas where anesthetic support uh, is, is more limited, um, but we'll wait to see what changes come. So, with more choices than previously, we previously had and a better understanding of where the drugs fit in to our seizure algorithm um, for, for the treatment of status epilepticus, we result in having this plan, sorry, we come to having this plan uh, for our one-year-old coming in. Hopefully the two doses of benzodiazepines have been given in a timely fashion by the paramedic crew uh, on their way to increase the, the chance of this child resolving uh, on first-line treatment. We would consider and probably will give peraldehyde on their arrival uh, as a, a stopgap to getting up the second line treatment, which will either be phenytoin or levetiracetam. If he continues to seize after administration of the second line treatment, we can consider a second second line treatment, depending on how long he's been seizing and what his clinical state is. After this, we're considering RSI. Uh, using th thiopentone and a short-acting muscle relactant such as succimethonium. The management of status uh, is one thing, and we have our plan for when this child arrives, but the overall outcome depends on why this child is seizing, and we need to have a clear understanding of the potential causes of seizures in children. <clears throat> the most common seizures we see are related to temperatures, febrile seizures coming in all the time to the children's emergency department. These are often self-limiting and resolve uh, without any intervention from ourselves. Occasionally they can come in in status. The other um, common group that we see are those children with known seizures um, who come in in status. Often these children have a plan uh, in place and we just need to follow it. Other areas that you need to consider our infection, your meningitis, encephalitis, increased intracranial pressure, such as those with space-occupying lesions, hematomas, 
cerebral edema or blocked shunt. We see lots of children coming in with blocked shunts um, uh, that need to be considered. Observations are key in this group, looking for signs of raised intracranial pressure, such, raised intracranial pressure, such as Cushing's triad. Ischemic insults, such as anoxic brain injury, stroke, poisoning, and this can be illicit drugs, but also home uh, prescribed drugs or household chemicals, have a high degree of suspicion, especially in teenagers. Although I'd say that I have seen a child coming in with potential seizures in status um, uh, at 18 months who turned out uh, to have uh, taken dad's ecstasy. Um, so consider toxins. Um, send toxicology screens. Inquire about available drugs in the house, including illicit drugs. Metabolic derangement, so hyponatremia, um, is very topical, as we all know. Um, keep the sodium above 135, and if it's low and the child is seizing, then give a bolus of hypertonic saline over 15 minutes and recheck it. Uh, use your local guidance as to the dosing uh, that you, you should be using. Hypoglycemia um, is also a concerning sign and you should always look at it. So it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So it's airway, breathing, circulation, and don't ever forget glucose. Okay, so if a child's blood sugar is below four and they're seizing, then you should correct it. Give two, two mils per kilogram of 10% dextrose and then recheck it. Never forget to recheck it because if it's not gone up, uh, or you have been without sugar for a while, uh, it may have dropped again. Hypo or hypercalcemia can also cause seizures and can be checked on the electrolyte panel or your blood gas. Other causes, intracranial hemorrhage, either through traumatic um, cause, coagulopathic, uh, AV malformations or aneurysms. Uh, and in all of these cases, you have to consider the potential for non-accidental injury. Unfortunately, in our work in children's, uh, it's something that we always have to consider. Um, even when it seems innocent, uh, we have to make sure that the story fits uh, and then the mechanism fits with, with uh, what we're seeing in front of us. It's important to take the time to quiz the parents uh, on the events uh, leading up to the seizure and after the seizure, uh, what the child's pre-morbid state was, any developmental issues, birth history, growth and development, um, any medications that they may be on, and their social history. Um, and this gives you a broader understanding of the events leading up to the, the seizure and allows you to, to rule out some of your differentials. Um, investigation should be um, performed uh, in all children coming in status. Um, on arrival, you'll be putting in IV access so that you can give your second line treatment. During this, you should send for basic screen, including an electrolyte panel, um, looking for your sodium, your potassium, your calcium, um, your CRP, uh, and your, sorry, your magnesium and your CRP. You should send off a full blood picture looking at your hematological um, uh, indices, including your platelet count. Uh, and your infective markers like your white cells and your neutrophils. A point-of-care blood gas uh, is extremely useful, can give you an idea of how significant a respiratory acidosis this child has from their hypoventilation during their seizure. It will give you an idea of the sodium, potassium, uh, the calcium immediately as well as the blood sugar.
and this should be done in all patients uh, coming in in status. And ammonia should be considered for all children uh, who have, uh, you have a suspicion that they might have an inborn error of metabolism, but you should also consider this for all neonates uh, present, uh, presenting in seizure. And then send toxicology if suspicious uh, that there is something else uh, causing the seizure. Examination of a child who is seizing uh, should include full exposure uh, to look for rashes, signs of infection, evidence of injury or abuse, and a full set of observations should be obtained and repeated on a regular basis, ensuring blood pressure is also obtained to rule out malignant hypertension. Further investigations will be determined by clinical findings, blood investigations, uh, and the history from the paramedics and the carer. I put in there the history of the from the paramedics, uh, and this is me with my child protection hat on again, is that these are probably the only people who have recently been inside that house and can give you a report of what the house looked like, whether there were any drugs or alcohol present, whether the mechanism that, um, of injury, if it was an injury, uh, fits in with the, uh, the pattern of injury that you're seeing on the child. So ask them um, what the home situation was like or if they had any concerns in regards to parent interactions. Indications for CT scan uh, include um, a history of focal seizures or even if the, the seizure started focally and is now generalized. And again, that comes into the history. Trauma or concern regarding non-accidental injury. The presence of a VP shunt and concerns regarding space-occupying lesions. These children should all be CT'd when stable enough to go to the CT scanner. So for our girl coming in, this one-year-old, we've considered all these factors as we're preparing the team. The paramedic crew come in informing you that they've given their two doses of benzodiazepine and the child has been seizing for 35 minutes now. The nursing staff obtain observations and you go to assess the child. They're obviously seizing. And the temptation that you're going to have is to move straight to giving IV access and getting your second line treatment up. But you know that all good resuscitation begins with an ABCD approach. And so you start off with assessing your airway. Is it clear? It is not uncommon for these children to come in with either vomit or a lot of secretions, maybe blood in their mouth. Uh, and this needs to be suctioned out um, to allow them uh, uh, the best chance of getting oxygen into their, their lungs. Look for any loose teeth or foreign bodies uh, that may be there. Breathing. Seizing children often hyperventilate. Have a listen into their chest. Okay. Is there good air entry? Is there good respiratory effort? Apply oxygen and then consider giving some respiratory support in the form of either some CPAP uh, or, um, or light bagging. These children often have a respiratory acidosis and a high CO2 um, and therefore uh, need a little bit of support during their seizures. Um, so please don't forget that. Um, nasopharyngeal airways can also be very useful and uh, often get forgotten about when you're struggling with the airway. Um, so if you have a child who you're having difficulty maintaining airway or getting good air entry, uh, put a nasopharyngeal in. Um, 
Sometimes a Gadel is more difficult to administer to, to pass due to the uh, tonic nature of the seizures. Um, but if you can, uh, you can utilize those as well. Moving on to circulation, children seizing will often have a prolonged capillary refill time and look, um, look unwell, uh, probably due to a combination of the acidosis that they have uh, and the prolonged seizure. I'm quite cautious with administering fluids uh, to children in status unless I know uh, they have had a significant fluid loss at some point. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily jump in with fluid boluses with these children on, on the outset unless there's good evidence of uh, infection uh, or uh, fluid depletion. So just be cautious with that. So as you're starting your IV attempts, uh, you know that this child's been seizing for 35 minutes, 40 minutes now, and that if you can't get IV access, you may need to progress to IO access. And that's okay. Um, it's important to get the second line treatment in as soon as possible. And uh, without IV access, your, your options are quite limited. So IO access may be necessary. But while you're doing that, you can ask for the PR peraldehyde to be administered. Um, so you get your bloods in, you get your line in, you get your bloods taken away, your blood sugar comes back at six for this patient, um, and we're awaiting a gas. When you look at his disability or her disability, the child, the child has a generalized tonic-clonic seizure. All four limbs are shaking, and they're staring, pupils are large and unresponsive, and you request phenytoin to be commenced, and, and anesthetic support uh, is requested, as per our APLS guidelines. When you expose the child, you find that they have a temperature of 38.9 degrees. This could be that they have a febrile illness, and this is a febrile seizure, an atypical febrile seizure, or it could just be due to the fact that this child has been seizing for 30 minutes, 40 minutes. On exposure uh, of the child, you note that there are no other signs. Uh, you request urine sample for uh, culture and toxicology. I'm sorry, I should have mentioned you should any child who comes in seizing with a pyrexia should have a blood culture as well. Well, the phenotone infuses, you take time to quiz the parents on the current history and clarify the events of the day. So this child has now been seizing for 70 minutes. We make a decision not to give a second line, second line treatment um, and instead move straight to RSI uh, to protect this child uh, from further neurological damage and try and get more control over their seizure activity. The child is given induction of thiopentone by the anesthetic team and a short-acting muscle relaxant, such as a succimethonium. No infusion of paralyzing agent has started uh, due to the difficulty after intubation on identifying whether seizure activity continues. We rely on the observations, such as the heart rate, blood pressure, um, as well as the pupillary responses to gauge whether seizure activity has stopped or not. Up in ICU, they have other methods that they can utilize, such as EEG and CFAM, um, but it can still be difficult identifying when seizures stop uh, in an intubated patient. So we've had this one-year-old child presenting uh, with what sounds like a standard seizure, uh, ending in status epilepticus. We've looked at the potential treatment options and why we have the sequence that we have and the possible future developments uh, and uses of the recent studies uh, that we've, um, such as Eclipse and Concept. 
So I thank you for your time. I hope there was something uh, in that talk for everybody. Um, from a, for a more in-depth discussion about the eclipse and concept studies, there are plenty of blogs out there discussing uh, the ins and outs of those studies, and I'd recommend uh, reading those. Um, but uh, if there's any questions, put them in the, in the uh, chat, and we'll try and answer them.